Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. With an especially contentious presidential election just over two weeks away, many of you have expressed anxiety and fear about what is coming, especially during the time between Election Day and Inauguration Day. I trend calm and tend to faithfulness, but then the decision was made to board up our Tiffany stained glass windows again, just in case. And then someone said the words, civil war. And then Kem's brilliant mentor, Lebanese-American Henry Pichotto, invited us to sign a pledge to nonviolently take to the streets next month if a coup is attempted. A coup? I snapped to attention and began researching in earnest. This morning, while remaining devoted to refraining from partisan politics in this pulpit, I want to share a little of what I learned. Knowledge is power. I want to look at these times with an unwavering eye. And I want to invite you to join me in a commitment not to stand idly by. So just the facts. What is a coup? A coup or coup d'etat is the sudden illegal and unconstitutional seizure of power from a government by a political faction, the military, or a dictator, usually by violent means. When I think of coups, I think of Napoleon, Franco, al-Qaddafi, Amin, Pinochet. How can anyone be talking about the possibility of a coup in the United States of America? Here's the answer. We have become two countries, and we're drifting further and further apart. Tragically, each of these two countries agrees on few things, and each blames the other for them. We are no longer united, our democracy is in peril, and the conditions are right. Barton Gelman wrote a staggering piece for The Atlantic this month called the election that could break America. It is 30-some pages long. Here are some highlights. He writes, if we are lucky, this fraught and dysfunctional election cycle will reach a conventional stopping point in time to meet critical de deadlines in December and January. Collectively, we will have made our choice. As a nation, we have never failed to clear that bar. But troubling factors are at play. First, 
there's the question of election tampering. In August at the Republican National Convention, the president said, the only way they can take this election from us if this is a rigged election. The Brennan Center for Justice, a nonpartisan think tank, calculated the rate of voter fraud in three different elections at between 0, 0, 0, 0, sorry, 0.0003% and 0.0025%. Out of more than 1 billion votes cast here between 2000 and 2014, a loyal law school in, uh, investigation turned up 31 credible allegations of voter fraud. But planting seeds that the election is rigged casts a long shadow. Second, for the first time in our lifetimes, the peaceful transition of power has been called into question. Legal scholar Lawrence Douglas tells us that our Constitution presupposes but does not secure the peaceful transition of power. On Thursday evening, the president told NBC's Savannah Guthrie, the answer is yes, I will. But this past July, Fox News host Chris Wallace asked the president if he would respect the re election results. I have to see, he replied. No, I'm not going to just say yes. And third, the 20th Amendment is crystal clear that the president's term in office shall end at noon on January 20th. But ambiguities in the Constitution and logic bombs in the Electoral, Electoral Count Act make it possible to extend the dispute from Election Day all the way to Inauguration Day, which would bring this nation to a precipice. The president's term in office shall end at noon on January 20th, but two men could show up to be sworn in. What was once unthinkable is now entirely possible. In August, the Transition Integrity Project, a gathering of former elected officials, political strategists, lawyers, and academics spent four days simulating models of the election and its aftermath in an effort to find pivot points where things could fall apart. There was no shortage of those moments. And most unfortunately, none of the simulations fully explained how the stalemate could be resolved. Georgetown professor Rosa Brooks, co-founder of the Transition Integrity Project says, our goal in doing this was to try to identify intervention moments, moments when we could ask, what would have kept it from getting this bad? The project didn't make much progress there. We got to points in the scenario where there was a constitutional impasse, no clear means of resolution in sight, and street-level violence. In one of them, we had the president invoking the Insurrection Act, and we had troops in the streets. Five hours had gone by, and we sort of said, okay, we're done. Once things were clearly off the rails, there was no particular benefit to seeing exactly how far off they might go. No alternative moves were devised to stave off disaster.
In the face of this very bleak picture, Barton Gelman concludes that the political system may no longer be strong enough to preserve its integrity. And so some very challenging work is before us. Here are his suggestions. Begin by rejecting the temptation to think that this election will carry on as elections usually do, he writes. Something far out of the norm is likely to happen, probably more than one thing. It's a mistake to take for granted that election boards and state legislators and Congress are capable of drawing lines that ensure a legitimate vote and an orderly transfer of power. We may have to find a way to draw those lines ourselves. The fifth principle of Unitarian Universalism is our covenant to affirm and promote the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process. Yes, this is where we come in, my friends. This is where we can meet our anxiety and fear with knowledge, planning, courage, and power. This is where our faith is tested. First, Barton Gelman speaks to our larger society. If you manage news coverage, he says, position reporters and crews to respond to extra constitutional measures. If you are a civil servant, know that your country needs you now more than ever to do the right thing, even when you're asked to do otherwise. If you are a mayor, consider how to deploy your police force to ward off interlopers with bad intent. If you are a law enforcement officer, protect the freedom to vote. If you are a judge, refresh your acquaintance with election laws. If you have a place in the military chain of command, remember your duty to turn aside unlawful orders. And then Barton Gelman speaks directly to us as individuals and as individuals in beloved community. If you are a voter, he says, think about voting in person. More than half a million postal votes were rejected in this year's primaries. If you are at relatively low risk for COVID-19, volunteer to work at the polls. Spread the word that it is normal for the results to keep changing after election night. Join the call to count all votes and honor the result. And if the worst happens, in other words, if election tampering and voter suppression devolve into a situation in which the government stops counting votes, declares a winner before all the votes are counted, or allows someone to be in power who didn't win the election, we have to prepare ourselves to call it what it is, a coup. As always, language is very, very powerful. For example, gun-wielding vigilante groups are commonly called militia. They are not militia, they are terrorists. Terrorism is defined in the Code of Federal Regulations 
as the unlawful use of force and violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. Gun-wielding vigilante groups are terrorists. Just so, we want to call a coup a coup because people know that terrorism and coups are a violation of democratic norms. This is a red line in which the majority of American people continue to believe. Beyond imagining that crossing that red line could really happen here, perhaps the hardest thing is that we cannot afford to wait and watch and hope that someone else figures out what to do next. We can't afford to freeze. That's how coups succeed. Even when only a few people go along with a coup and act as if it's normal, people may reluctantly accept it as inevitable. Essentially, coups are a fight for legitimacy, whose voice is the voice to trust. The uncertain center has to be convinced that we represent stability and the coup plotters represent hostility to the democratic norms of elections. Daniel Hunter, author of Building a Movement to End the New Jim Crow, writes, this is very different from mass marches at the Capitol or street protests shutting down intersections. It is not about protest, but about getting people to reassert core values, like showing up at an elected official's office, getting them to agree to honor election results, mass walkouts and strikes, refusing to go to school or work, and shutting down civil society, actions that represent the rule of law and nonviolence. In reflecting on the power of peaceful protest on a grand scale, Professor Rosa Brooks sees it as both and. What if you had an Orange Revolution style mass protest sustained over weeks, she asks, what effects would that have? Every one of the transition integrity project simulations concluded that a show of numbers in the streets may be decisive. If you are in any shape to take to the streets, please plan to go, but do not go alone. It would be good right about now to speak with at least five people you trust who would go out and protest with you. Throughout history, over half of attempted coups have failed. Many have been stopped by ordinary people. And most are stopped within a matter of days. Still, the best way to stop a coup is to deter it. Many of us are already doing good work on issues of voting rights, urging voter turnout, and getting people to recommit to democracy. God willing, that will be enough. But it's so important that we not be in denial, that we face our fear with facts, make an if-then plan, and talk to each other about different scenarios. The choice before us today, as always, is to take agency, choose democracy,
and keep the faith. Lately, I return again and again to Anglo-American W.H. Auden's poem, September 1, 1939, penned as German troops invaded Poland and began the Second World War. Beloved spiritual companions, for courage, for love, and for a blessing, here are Auden's closing words. We must love one another or die. Defenseless under the night, our world in stupor lies, yet dotted everywhere, ironic points of light flash out wherever the just exchange their messages. May I, composed like them of eros and dust, be leaguered by the same negation and despair. Show and affirming flame. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction comes to us from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And with this faith, we will go out and adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. And we will be able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. And this will be a great America. We will be the participants in making it so. Let us keep this faith and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.